welcome back to a hamster with a blunt pen knife extra material i am here today with the glorious fraser gregory hello fraser hi everybody no stranger to any hamster listeners in fact this is where you first set your stall isn't it this podcast yes yes, yes. you were the the first person that allowed me to come on and ramble oh, and man, talk I'm... nonsense and say <clears throat> ludicrous things about doctor who so this is where it all began folks he's the one to blame I mean this in a non-rude way before you even come at me with any kind of stop it. I've broken many a person into podcasting now, you know. I feel like you might be my greatest success. Oh, I wouldn't go that far, but thank you for the compliment. So today we are here to not talk about Doctor Who. No. A rare event. (laughs) Um, instead, we are, as this is the first of many episodes of uh, Hamster Extra Features going out to members only. And the premise of this is that contributors to Hamster come on and talk about another show that they like. You do like this show, right? Oh, yes. Oh, good. Oh, yes. <laughs> so they choose a show. We talk about the show sort of as an overview. And then we select five, uh, I don't know if you've chosen five you love, five you hate, but you're going to select five episodes and uh, give me fabulous reasons as to why, and we will do commentaries on those episodes. So it's just a nice little overview of some different shows and uh, what your opinion is of it. So what have you chosen then, Fraser? Well, it's it's cold outside. There's no kind of atmosphere. (laughs) All alone, more or less. (laughs) It's Red Dwarf. Well, okay, so I have a question for you straight off, and that is, why Red Dwarf? You could have chosen any TV show. Could have done, but I think Red Dwarf is the one after Doctor Who that I'm most qualified to talk about, if that makes sense. It's the one that I've watched the most. It's the one that I've loved the most outside of Doctor Who. So anything else, I'm going to be kind of scrabbling around you know, trying to find things to talk about, whereas Red Dwarf, I feel, is is one that was, a, you know, another big part of me growing up. Um, I I came into Red Dwarf and it would have been season five. Oh, okay, quite been... late then. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I, I vaguely remember turning over and watching a, a snippet of of an episode of series three one night um, when everyone was out and I just had the teddy. So, but it was series five where I really started getting into into watching it. So, yeah. Um, quite late, it's, but you know I was hooked on that, and I did exactly the same with Red Dwarf as I did with Doctor Who, and went out and bought as much material as I could. Um, I got the VHSs. You could only get series two and series three back in those days, so I got those, played those to death, bought the books, read them. I used to get the um, the short-lived magazine, and uh-huh. that was that was out, that was out for a year or two. Um, so I had. You know, I subscribed to this magazine. Um, this magazine, honestly, this magazine, yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was, um, it was comic strips. It was interviews. It was set reports. It was, um, it was everything you want from a fanzine. Um, and sadly, it just didn't last. Um, I had a seem to have a good run, and then just all of a sudden, it just went. You know, um, just as it was kind of hitting a bit of a stride. Is um, it a bit more adult than the Doctor Who magazine? Not really. I mean, like you say. I, Bear in mind, I would have been. I'm gonna to have to check now exactly when, when this would have been. 
Um, I should have done some research. Actually, oh. remember, Fraser, that this isn't a commentary, so I can edit this one to buggery. So, yes, of course. Um, but yeah. Um, when I say me, of course, I mean Mark. Yes. Because <laughs> you know, the first series was 1988, and it just went after that, didn't it? Um, Wikipedia's letting us down here. Anyhow, we'll just say the mid-90s, when I was sort of mid-teen, um, you know, 14, 15 that sort of age so it didn't feel any more adult than than DWM you know DWM's obviously age aimed at a family model but then like an older reader I remember getting you know Doctor Who magazines and they were sometimes a little bit hard to read um, just because of you know the amount of information the amount of text whereas this magazine felt very easy to read um, so a little bit yeah aimed more to older audience but not if that makes sense I think um, easier to read than you know you said about the books. I think I had one of those books, but it was like several episodes of the first series truncated into one novel. Is that right, or am I completely imagining that? Yeah, literally just being able to pull it off your bookshelf now. Is this oh the one? wow, yeah, that's the one I had. Yeah, Infinity Welcomes uh, All drivers. drivers. Yeah, Careful Drivers. Yes. Well, I didn't know if it was if it was Red Dwarf. Or if it was Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, because for the benefit, well, I don't know if we're going to be showing the video of this, but for the benefit of people who are just listening, um, the cover has just got the Red Dwarf logo on, and then it's got like a, a vapor trail of a spaceship that has smashed the corner off a sign saying Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers. So, but the book itself on the spine just says Red Dwarf, just says Red Dwarf on the back. It's never, you know, the front cover, it's never mentioned. I don't know. Red Dwarf, Infinity Bottoms, Careful Drivers. There you go. I've learned something. Is that episodes from series one? Yeah, this this covered the first two series. Oh, Um, all of the first two series in one novel? Yeah, yeah, it um, it goes through the... um, Up until I'm getting Crichton. Uh um, And and back to first first one and a half series, I think, actually, because it covers series one where they get marooned in space and Lister becomes the last human being alive and then um they find Crichton and they do the the back to back no back to reality better than life better than life virtual reality game which they get trapped in at the end of the book so the end of the book is them kind of getting out of out of that and that launches into the um the next the next book as well um is better than life so that picks oh, up Comrade does. So, and then there's a there's a few more books, and they kind of start diverging a little bit from the what was um, you know what was shown. And I think I don't think I've read backwards, um, but the one after that, the last human is, you know, by this point you're you're, you're seeing parts of the show, but you're getting really quite more of like an original novel. Yeah. Yeah, very much so, because um, obviously Red Dwarf was written, as you'll see on the book, by a chap called Grant Naylor. Ah, yes. Uh, David Agnew's brother. David Agnew's brother, Norman's <laughs> best friend, lived around the corner from Robin Bland, that sort of thing. But um, not necess- not as much as that, because you know Grant Naylor is Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, two people who've um, 
who came together to write, you know, the first six series and and so on. And then unfortunately their work and relationship ended. Quite. And I think in the well, we'll I mean we'll go into that because I I, well, I want to circle back around again very quickly. Because yep. you've you've given me some detail about the magazine, you've given me some detail about the novels. Yeah, but my initial question was why the TV show. So what was it show? about this TV show that connected with you so much? Um, I think it was it kind of filled a gap. To be honest, I mean, like I say, Doctor Who went off in nineteen eighty nine. Um, Red Dwarf started in nineteen eighty eight. Where I picked up, I found the right bit on Wikipedia now is ninety two. Nineteen ninety two is when. Mm-hmm. You know, series five first aired, so that's that's the prime time for a science fiction show to come along and just sit in my subconscious and, you know, fill that sort of gap where where Sylvester McCoy isn't there anymore. You know, you've got the, you know, Doctor Who's still there, but Red Dwarf is very much, you know, filling that gap. So, um, the same sort of time, there's there's things like Quantum Leap on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, is that Babylon Five time? Yeah, early nineties. Yeah, yeah, early nineties. Yeah. You know, you've got because DS Nine started in ninety three, and that was a year yeah. after Babylon Five, I think. So yeah, so there's there's a lot of other things going on there that are, you know, I think um, ni- weird enough for a decade where Doctor Who wasn't on. Nineties yeah. uh, was the time for like peak telly fantasy. There was so much Star Trek, as you, as you yeah. say, Babylon Five, Buffy the Vampire Slayer comes along. More fantasy, yeah. um, the X Files. Like it was, there was all this very stylish, yeah. very exciting genre it, TV being churned out, and it spawned a lot of other shows as well. There was a lot of sort of like one hit, two hit, two series shows. Um, you Roswell, Roswell, yes, yeah, that hit yeah. in the nineties as well. And um, that was supposed to be the big thing, wasn't it? But that never. That never really took off. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so there was there's that kind of element of it being, um, you know, filling a filling a gap for us a nice thirty minutes sort of gap. But the other thing was it was so bloody good. Yeah, you know, it's you're looking for a sci-fi program, but you're getting a sitcom. You know, it starts off essentially as a sitcom. The science fiction elements are there throughout the first couple of series, but it's not really until sort of like series three onwards where they really start to push what they're going to do with, with science fiction. So it becomes more like a science fiction sitcom after that. But, you know, it's a sitcom first and foremost, and it has to be funny. And it was. It really made me it laugh. You know, very it made funny. Me, it made me laugh. First time I watched it, second time I watched it, third, fourth. You know, I put on an episode last night um, because I watched um, an episode of Blake 7 that really upset us. Well, gone. And so I need to show <laughs> up. So what am I going to put on the show up? I put on I put on an episode of Red Dwarf. Um, Which one did you watch? It was Queeg. Oh, that is a classic. <laughs> Basically, appreciate <laughs> what you got because I'm fantastic. Yeah, fantastic, exactly. <laughs> I love that episode, man. Exactly. That is a tight bit of scripting as well. You know? Oh, it's 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 just brilliant. You know, the the performances by by everyone in that one is just. It's just amazing because it's, it starts off and it's a very limited show. You know, you start off and you've got four characters. You've got yeah. Lister, you've got Rimmer, you've got the cat and you've got Holly and that's it. And those four characters have to carry two series until you introduce Crichton. And then you've got five. Five right. characters have to carry your whole series. 
I always reckon the, you know, the sort of the very, very high concept episodes that start hitting in sort of late two mm. and then three, four, five and six. Yeah. I, I feel like it, it takes a little while for those to bid in. And you're right. The first series is very much like a one room sitcom. Yeah. You know, and the, the focus is on character drama a lot of the time. Absolutely. And, and it's really good character drama as well. It is. It's the first series is very much the odd couple in space. Yeah. You know, it's it's you've you've got the four characters, but the cat and Holly are very peripheral. And the cat just comes in and goes, oh, oh, hang on, hang on. But although series one, the cat, you know, was it this is my shiny yeah. thing. <laughs> With the shiny yeah. thing at the top and the string at the bottom. <laughs> I think he's so charismatic. He is. He's a fantastic character, but he's he's not the, the, the heart of the show. The heart of the show is that relationship between Lister and Rimmer. Two really <laughs> I mean it's 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 funny, I was thinking this, you know, Dave Lister is a very unlikable person. <laughs> he's a very um, He's an arsehole. That's yeah. the point. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a slob and he's and but he who revels in his slobbery. He's actually proud of being, you know, the kind of guy who, you know, doesn't brush his teeth or doesn't change his clothes or, you know, puts his underpants on backwards five weeks to get double, <laughs> double about that sort of thing. Um, and it's he's a lifestyle I can get behind entirely, you know. Absolutely. But he's the hero of the show. The the other guy that he's playing against is even worse than him. The sort of bureaucrat. Did you ever see the American version where they no, made no. well they made they they cast this sort of jock as the lead, <laughs> and it didn't work at all yeah. because he was really sexy. I mean, I think Craig Charles is pretty sexy, but he's so charming in that role. Yeah, like you're behind yeah. him from the first second. Oh, and you're right. Rim is such a awesome. pretentious, officious asshole. <laughs> like. Absolutely, so it's basically two unlikable characters, isn't it? Two unlikable how, characters. How the hell did this work? It's it's the casting. Yeah, you know it's it's the writing and it's the casting. Everything just comes together because that first series, you know, shouldn't work really. Um, you, you look at it and there's a reason why, you know, the the later series or sort of the middle series are talked about more than anything. That first series is really, um, it's finding its feet. You know, it's um. You know the 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 sets are of a very questionable standard. Um, the the actors are finding their feet. The plot the plots are are really good. There's some really good good ideas in there. Um, but ultimately, it's the second series on where the the kind of like right we know what we're doing now. Um, the BBC gives them a bit more money. Um, so they've got a bit better sets, a bit better ideas, and then to go with that series three is again another sort of. It's a real leap forward, and um, to go from having um, that slow opening shot, the beautiful model work with the slow version of the theme, to that sort of like really intense. Why they ever moved to CGI? I have no idea. No, no. I don't know why because it was you know the latest innovation. They wanted to try it out, and fair enough, well, it, it looked was... like a mad cartoon. And they went back to model work later on. But that Absolutely. early model work was so good. Oh, did you see the one where the re did all the effects? Oh, so, yeah, I had those were the videos I had, yeah, oh. <laughs> with the cartoons, the, yeah. And they put little, they had like the cartoon ship, and had the they used to do things like put like little cartoon scutters 
in in oh that was oh, awful it just wasn't great whereas that the the model work in those early seasons yeah yeah i just think the pan across red dwarf in the tile sequence oh yeah it's it reminds me of on. the trial sequence at the beginning of yeah. mysterious planet yeah yeah it's, it's that sort of standard yeah but the, the, the beauty is is that they've you know they've, they've used those model shots over and over again you know the just got that model of red dwarf and the use you know did a load of shots they got the model of starbug which was another great innovation in in series three because by series three you know you're kind of running out of ideas aren't you like well yeah we've managed to get two series up you know 12 episodes out of four characters stuck on a ship but we need to do more so they need to be getting off the ship so bringing in starbug and bringing in Crichton, um you know great sort of you know boosts jolt in the arm boosting the arm to to, to get them going forward um but i think again, come come three they are so confident though oh, yeah. with what they're doing and with their high concepts and you've got stuff like polymorph and things yeah. like that coming out and oh man it is gold yeah so that's that's a clever thing because is it like the running joke through the first couple of series is, is river's you know belief about aliens <laughs> Alien. <laughs> it's a it's a Quagar <laughs> warrior. <laughs> River, aliens used our bog roll. <laughs> when he goes, what is it? It's a garbage dump. It's a smacking. Smacking. Oh, Stop the that. credits. That's so funny that. Um you know what they're leaning into there in series one, they're leaning into like the odd couple, aren't they? Yeah. And what's really interesting is you've got two different classes of people there or at least i think rimmer thinks yeah he's like middle class yeah. <laughs> technically i think he's lower class but and dave listens to, and then you've got like two people from two different regions as well rimmer's yeah. very posh listers from up north so they're playing on that as well there's just lots of ways to have conflict between the two characters oh absolutely i think rimmer's rimmer's background is quite middle class um he's kind of like because his brothers he's got a couple of brothers hasn't he and they are you know, flying high in the space corps or captains and doing really well. And he's kind of like the embarrassment of the family and, you know, the one that can't get past his first engineering exam. And um, <clears throat> so I think there is that that sort of class divide with them as well. Um, I, just, back, I like... just feel like there's there's the, the kind of culture difference between those two characters. It's very clever. Yeah. You know, and I've and I've seen um, comedies where they bring together two people like this that are from very different backgrounds, and it can be a bit agonising and a bit annoying. Yeah. But like you say, but you bring in Craig Charles and you bring in Chris Barry, and Chris Barry, I think, is the MVP of Red Dwarf. I think. Oh, go on. Oh, you're looking. I'd, I'd say Craig Charles. To be Do honest. You think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, I mean, the whole cast are the the casting is just. Is brilliant in this because it can make or break a show, can't it? None of them are actors. None well, of them I'd say, are actors. I'd say Chris Barry is a pretty good actor. He wasn't an actor going into this though. Really? No, he was an impressionist. Well, that was a bold move then. Yeah, Chris Barry was. An, they actually cast um, Alfred Molina as Rimmer. I don't actually know who that is. Um, Doc Ock in Spider Man Two. Oh wow. He was in Raid. Was he in Raiders? He was one of the one of the Indiana Jones films as well. But he plays Doctor Octopus in Sam Raimi Spider Man Two. What happened then? How did Chris Barry get the part? I think Alfred Medina just, you know, tried and just thought, no, this isn't this isn't going to work. I can't get the handle. I mean, Alan Rickman auditioned as well for for this show. But instead of casting actors, what they've done is they've cast Chris Barry 
who was like I say best known as an impressionist at the time he was doing spitting image voices and mm-hmm. and that you've got Norman Lovett who was a stand-up comedian um you know and may I say there is no performer on this planet that can deliver a one-liner with such dryness I know absolutely <laughs> head to the nearest one of these yeah <laughs> um Danny John Jules is probably the closest because he was a dancer um, had he done Maid Marion at this point? No, he does Maid Marion during or after. Um, but he, again, he was going into this best known as being a, a dancer. He was, um, I think he'd done Little Shop of Horrors, as, a, as you might see him at the end of the chorus line in Little Shop of Horrors. But again, relatively unknown, but not known for acting. But then you've right. got Craig Charles, who is a poet, of all things, a stand-up poet, um, who, again, you know, you know, sort of blags the producers, um for a, an audition and gets to the part of Lister. So he comes in and he's, you know, wins over as Lister. I mean, Chris Barry's got got an easy job of playing Rimmer because we know Rimmer is the heel, Rimmer's the also He's the one that we're supposed to um, laugh at and kind of, um, you know, he's the butt of the joke, whereas Lister has to be, as we've said, the, the hero but again, he's a very a total slob at the same time. Yeah. So you say Chris uh, uh, Craig Charles wins us over straight away with his his charisma and makes us like Lister and makes makes us you know Lister into the hero more through his performance than anything else. Uh, whereas you know Rimmer is you know is, is just an arsehole. but he's a very well played arsehole, Don't get us wrong. But I think you know, without Craig Charles winning us over as Lister, we don't then have that that whole dynamic. You're just looking at the two people. Um, I'm trying to think of another show where it's just a load of unlikable people. Something like... Peep Show. Yeah. Yeah, um, to a certain extent. But other things like like those American kids things with the, the kids just running around like Gossip Girl and that. And... Oh, yeah. 90210, yeah. It's yeah. yeah it's, just, it's just a show full of people I don't like. I don't want to watch this. Um, but all of them, all of these four um, original cast members come in and, and do something absolutely fantastic with with what they've given, what they've been given. Like you say, Norman Lovett is is there as Holly, the um, just absolute deadpan. You, you've never seen a computer like this, have you? No. <laughs> no. I mean, even, even if you haven't watched like Next Generation or anything, you know, you've got like computers in sort of Blake 7 and in Doctor Who, which are are not like this. Though they are actually um, capable and functional and Holly comes along and says, all right, dudes. <laughs> Do you remember it? I think it's in Queen, isn't it? Where he says, right, yeah. plug that wire in there. I think it's the blue one. <laughs> and then he goes in slow motion, explodes over the console. I'm oh, yeah. sorry. I think it might be the real one. Is it the yellow? Definitely yellow. Oh, it's really. So basically, what you're saying is all these nobodies come together yeah. and then this astonishing chemistry Absolutely. is brewed Absolutely. up. You know, they go on to other things. You know, Chris Barry goes and does British Empire. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a point in the 90s, all right, when you could not turn on the TV and not see yeah. Chris Barry. Absolutely. You know, British Empire. Playing somebody on. annoying. <laughs> yeah. Which he does so well. Uh, Craig Charles goes on into Coronation Street. Um, Danny John Jules does, as we discussed, um, Made Marion and I Merry Men. And um, 
he then he goes on to other things such as Death in Paradise. He was in that. Yeah. Uh, Norman Lovett is um stay, you know, it's, it's probably least successful. He did get his own sitcom. He did get his own um, Oh, it had his name in it, didn't it? I love it. Yeah. yeah. So that was on for uh, that was very weird. I remember watching that and just being a bit like this is a few bits. It was it was a bit uh, mighty bush. By all accounts, you know, Norman Love, it's very hard work. Uh, right. When whenever they talk about it in the behind the scenes documentary, they're all just going, yeah. "Oh God, he was there whinging in the rehearsal room about this, that, and the other." But you know what? It's worth it, though. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, um, Robert Llewellyn comes in in series oh. three. Oh, actually, there's, maybe there's he's crime. the MVP. No, no I'm, I'm saying they're all the MVP now. Aren't <laughs> I think. I mean, I think I love Robert Llewellyn. I love what he does with Crichton. Crichton starts out as a very um, interesting character I think you know as the again the dysfunctional you know you've never seen a robot like this a robot who is you expect the robot and this is how he ends up he ends up being sort of like the Spock of the group and, he, he does you know, he has all the exposition and he delivers yeah. it brilliantly and very and funny one, as well but the character starts off as a bog, bog bot as Rimmer calls him he's, yeah. a, he's a sanitation right he's a he starts off in in his first episode of, of you know um, it's Crichton as the sort of like the butler, and that's where Crichton comes from. It's the um, it's the Honourable Crichton in the film, um, where it's um, it's a, a a group of it's like a family, but they're like upper class, and they've got the butler with them, and they get stranded on a desert island. Uh-huh. So it goes like sort of um, Robinson Crusoe and Swiss Family Robinson and that, um, and they all have to survive. And this obviously the butler is the only one that's got anything about them, so he, um kind of takes over charge you know he's organizing the family and you know from the time that does it and the company like respect him as an equal and everything and then they get rescued and um he goes back to being a butler there's like this last scene where um like oh we're getting rescued and, and the the robot comes on show and says oh well where's Crichton and he comes out with his his dinner suit on and he's going back to being that butler oh, it's, it's just wow. so like it's it's really like one of these sort of like really powerful, powerful moments of, I can't remember how they react to that, but it's like, oh shit, yeah. It's really hits his But Anyhow, Crichton was based on that character. Um, you know, Crichton, instead of Crichton, as, as you would normally spell it. And that's the way he starts out as this sort of like really servile. And it's so weird because it's a different actor, isn't it? In that first yeah, episode. I think actor. he's really good. The, oh, the yeah. actor in Crichton. But- and that wonderful sequence where he's got all those skeletons doled up and they all think they're going to get laid so they're all coming on rivers in dress uniform yeah. and everything like that yeah. like, are you sure what about this one doesn't Lister go here did I ever tell you about my friend Ace here yeah. he's incredibly, incredibly brave yeah. but um, I think that as, as as the character develops you know Crichton becomes more like your stranded um um, robot. Unfortunately, the show does tend to focus more on Crichton than it does the other character. The so yeah. it kind of comes comes to a bit of an idea in series seven, where you've got sort of like that episode, which is very Crichton heavy, of them going at the VR and he's, you know, Kachansky's oh, trying to and prejudice world, yeah, and, and he's, yeah. He's, he's, his head's blowing up and whatnot, and that's that. Was I don't it... think that's very funny. He's just playing no. this. No. jealous friend and it's exactly exactly it's 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 much more fun when they have things like he spare heads where he's like i've turned human it's like 
What about Spearhead 3? He's got Droidwood. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what, though? There is a late Crichton episode that I like in Series 8, Crichty TV. <laughs> he's in prison yeah. and he, yeah. he gets a, a all entrepreneurial and starts exploiting the women in the showers. And Yeah, it, 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 it does. But it's, you know, at this point, we're kind of, we're at the middle, I think the middle area is where, unfortunately, the show does start to kind of flag. Well, I, one of my questions for you was when does Red Dwarf um, jump the shark? Because I think I think a lot of people would say that one to six, yep, is so, you know either solid or brilliant. Yep, I think four is your favorite season, isn't it? It is. Yes, I think there's absolutely no duff noting for every single episode there. Not yes. even the Waxworld one. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> when we must getting Gandhi to do push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he... well Lister's having to describe um, Winnie the Pooh getting lynched they do the like cat. them going over the battlefield like in Blackadder don't they yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shot all these important figures through history okay now I'm talking about yeah. it it is actually very funny it's it's hilarious I mean if that's the worst episode of of that series then you know it's 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 a lot better than some of the things that are going to come unfortunately because it is right after series six for me where where it goes wrong because you know a couple of things happen there's a, there's you know you're getting a an episode a series a year or two series a year you know you've got series one in 88 series two is also in 88 three in 89 four in 91 five in 92 you get six in 93 and then you hit a block and the, the series seven doesn't come out until 1997 so there's like a four-year gap between well, I'm wondering if Doug Naylor thought that he couldn't do it alone. And some people would still say he couldn't do it alone, you know, given what came afterwards. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's, unfortunately, there is a big drop in, in quality because that's where that split happens between Rob Grant and Doug Naylor and they go off and do separate things. They and... lose the audience, don't they? It goes on film. It as goes well. on film. It's um, something very polished looking. Yes. I mean, this is it. It's, it's a bit of a, uh, a victim of its own success now, you know. It's, it's you know series five is is probably I think series six is has got some elements which are questionable I think setting the whole thing on Starbug. Um, six is my favourite season. Yeah, I don't think there's yeah. a weak note in six. I think that, I think the overall idea of six where they were trying to catch Red Dwarf if that had been resolved at the end of six or at the start of seven then maybe's but it just having that sort of like series arc I think doesn't really work by all means get off the ship. Can I um, very quickly just tell you a tale of youth about Series 6? You can, yes. Please, you know, whilst the size not here, obviously, so I'll, I'll have to do it myself. But I was so excited. I was at the, just the perfect age. When was 6 out? 93? 3, 93, yeah. So I was 13, okay? So I'm primed for this sort of uh, best of both worlds cliffhanger ending. And yep. there's Rimmer there, you know, and, and they're all being murdered in Starbuck. And he's got the gun and he shoots the time drive and the yep. ship blows up. Well, I'll tell you what, I reenacted that scene in my bedroom so many times. I was Rimmer going around with a gun going, what, Crichton? What? How do we get out of this? You know, like, <laughs> I, I absolutely was gagging for the next season. And I remember yeah. feeling a palpable absence that there wasn't any more for years after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, it, like you say, it comes back, but it comes back, like, super polished. You know, like, mm. it's CGI effects again, which is one of the things that happens in Series 5 is the blow-up Red Dwarf. 
Yes. Um, so you've got that Demons and Angels episode, which is the one that no one ever talks about, where um, they actually blew up Red Dwarf. It gets put back together, but they physically blew up the model. So after that, um, they've got no more model to do any shots. So any shot after that, which is model work, has got to be done, you know, it's got to be stock footage, really. Uh-huh. Um, which again kind of explains why in series six there is no red dwarf, it's just all um set on Starbug. But um, you know, into seven, it's it's more episodes, it's sort of eight episodes, is there rather than just the six. Um, it has got this film quality to it, hasn't it? It's it's, it's weird for a show that yeah. was kind of I don't want to say cheap and cheerful because so, sometimes it was no, really no, creative absolutely. to be made, but it was kind no. of cheap and cheerful, and it was absolutely about these sort of cheerful. daggy characters. Yeah, yeah. it suddenly looked like a Hollywood blockbuster. You know, <laughs> watching neighbors again, haven't you? Yeah, um, yeah, it yeah it is. It's 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 not Star Trek. That's the thing. It's it's the underbelly of of sci-fi, isn't it? It's, it's not. This isn't you know the top of the range ship. This is a this is a battered old motor. Rather than a, you know, Picard That's... running around and he's Rolls Royce full of the cream of the creme. That's this why is... Starbuck works so well. Yeah. It was like a terrible old Volkswagen Beetle exactly. flying through space, wasn't exactly. it? <laughs> exactly. Um, so you, you, you're scrapping that. Um, you've got rid of the studio audience. So it's a bit like, mm, okay. You know, well, and you your... can see it in the performances because they play to the yeah, audience yeah, yeah. in one Absolutely. to six. You know, they know when a laugh hits, they'll yep. wait. Yep. As that audience is paraplexic, you know, like... absolutely, and and obviously Rimmer's gone as well. Yes, yeah, yeah so yeah. not for long, but not yeah. for long. But you know, it, he's he's noticeable, and they bring in, bring back Kachansky, but it's a different Kachansky. You be I careful mean... now, right? My other half will be coming after you. He oh. loves Chloe Net. <laughs> no, I've absolutely nothing against Chloe Net. I think Chloe Net comes in and and you know gives a performance, and you know in the following season as well, you know she does fantastically well with what she's given but ultimately it's not the same character it's not the Kachansky that we've had in the first um few I don't know if um if Claire Grogan just wasn't available or didn't want to do it or what but you know bringing in a different actress then having them play a different character as well you know so from, there's, there's like, like a line and they bring a in, in a lot of very bizarre sort of woman comedy yeah. in that season, like the whole thing of have a fantastic period and things like that. And I'm like, this is a bit awkward, you know. Yeah. When it was just all the blokes together, you could get away with this exactly. shit, you know. Exactly. <laughs> like... And so, you know, this is where this, this it hits the skids. You know, you you go into then, you know, you have another cliffhanger. Um, series eight is a much more return to form. Well, I think the the reaction to Seven was so dramatic. They were like, no, we need yeah. to bring back the studio audience. We need to yeah. tone this down. We need to get back to character drama. Yeah. But they still want to do it on a big scale. They still yeah, want yeah. big effect sequences and set pieces and things like that. But again, it doesn't always work because they kind of go too far and like, we're going to bring back Rimmer, but we're going to bring back the captain and the rest of the ship. We'll bring back Red Dwarf, we'll bring back Old Holly, uh, we'll bring back Rimmer, but then they go too far and they just bring everyone back. So now you've gone from this sort of like, um, you know, odd couple scenario where it's just the two of them and they're trying to figure out how they're not going to just kill each other and whatnot. And then you've got this whole ensemble cast. And again, it's just, there's good points to it. There's good parts. Yeah, absolutely. Is. There's, like Cassandra, I think, is a, a brilliant episode <laughs> in series. Yeah. But as well, I think the biggest problem is, the ultimate problem uh, post-series six, is it's just not as funny. 
Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying I am not saying what's the fella's name is Doug Naylor and Rob Grant. I'm not saying Rob Grant brought all the humour in those early scenes, but they're, the two of them together, they seem to just have this beautiful mix of high concept ideas yeah. and genuinely funny jokes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's something Bob. is missing after six. It's like Bob Baker without Dave Martin, isn't it? It's it's good, but it's just not quite as good as as what was. But do you know, it's not even like Red Dwarf can't sustain change because I think even in one to six, you have one and two, which is like the sitcom period. Yeah. Then you have three to five, which is like all like crazy high concept ideas backwards and things like that. The Inquisitor, Polymorph, you know, big, big ideas. Very, very funny ideas. And then you've got six, which is all kind of Starbuck contained, isn't it? And yeah. and they're doing a lot of character work there. So this the series is going through like consistent yeah, yeah. change and it is evolving. And what you see later on when it goes to Dave, because uh, obviously after series eight, you know, these changes in seven and eight, which are not nearly as successful and popular as they would like, um, the wheels come off, the BBC backs out, and it's Dave or UK TV that pick it up and, and start producing it, and they get back to basics. I think it's a lot more successful, actually. It it's not as successful, but I think their hit rate is a lot better. It's it's not as good as it was. I mean, the day of years aren't as laugh out loud, you know, they're not as memorable. It's not, you know, it doesn't, um, you know, draw me in as much as this one to six. So when we're doing my five favourite episodes, you know, those are all going to be from one to six because... Um, that's where my heart that's, is. That's that's fair, but there's there well, is a few like I think the, the nice, but... is it lemons the one with Jesus <laughs> that is very the, yeah. where he goes oh Jesus Christ and then he goes yes, yes. You know? <laughs> I mean Captain Bollocks is and there's that one there's a one with all the different rimmers and there's this 3D printer that spits yeah. out this horribly ghoulish <laughs> mutated hundred rimmers coming down yeah. the corridor as a mon- I mean, there's some, there are some big ideas, yeah. and I think the show at this point is really selling itself on the chemistry of the leads, their sort of group chemistry. Absolutely. But it's it's a kind of it does that whole um, Star Trek two thing where you know it realizes actually these characters, these actors aren't the kids anymore. You know they aren't. Yeah. You know, you know you have like the motion Star Trek the motion picture, which is you know you've got um, a visibly aging Bill Shatner trying to be as Kirk that he was when he first started, you know, um, and it's not until two where they actually go, yeah, this character's old now. He puts so the glasses on, do you remember? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. oh, you know, I'm not but as young as I used to be. But let's make it the most of that. Let's, um, you know, have the character age and let's, you know, make the character older and wiser and um, more experienced because that's what beats Khan in the end, isn't it? It's Kirk's experience over, over Khan and you know, they do the same with with the last, you know, few series of Red Dwarf. You know, the, the, the jokes are more around middle-aged and, you know, thin in hair and whatnot. So the Which by could, it... Do you think that could contribute to the fact that people say it's past its prime just because they are a little bit past their prime themselves, um, you know? Not, not. I think, the, the like I say, the, the writing is, is always the key to this. You know, a sitcom, you know, you can have the best actors in the world or you can have the worst actors in the world if you haven't got the gags you're not you know that's the, the, it's the gag rate more than anything that that lets the later series down for me whereas you know when we come to talk about something like series four it's just 
hit after hit after hit after hit. Okay, well then I'm going to circle you around then back to Red Dwarf at its prime Mm -hmm. because I think it would be a shame to focus too much on where things went wrong or went downhill a little bit. And obviously you're focusing your five episodes on you know, Red Red Dwarf when it was at its apotheosis. So I want to ask you then to choose one episode from each season, not necessarily the episode we're going to talk about, um, which exemplifies one to six at their best. Um, okay, and series why? Series one, I think I like Future Echoes. The second one, I think that's again, it's got like a really good sound idea behind there. It's, it's a funny one because the book really explains why, um, you know, the saying Future Echoes, why, you know, essentially in the book, it's explained that as soon as the reactor blew, Holly just set off out the solar system as quick as possible and the ship just accelerates and accelerates for three million years until it gets to the point where it's traveling faster than the speed of light. Oh, that's clever. Which isn't really explained in the in the TV episode. You've got to have that background from the book to appreciate. But it's Do you just... know what, though? There's a genuine sequence in that where he says, oh, I've seen you die. Yeah. And it all plays out with Lister desperately trying to yeah, yeah. prevent that from happening, but still having to do what he's got to do with the drive console or whatever yeah, yeah. it is. And that was the point where I was like, yeah, this isn't just funny. This is drama. This is clever. Yeah. Well. You've got the drama, you've got the, the sci-fi concept there, and, and you've got the laughs as well, like the bit where um, Holly gives Rimmer a beehive. Oh, I look like Helen Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> I just so, what I like. <laughs> my dude, my dude, when he tries to eat the electric goldfish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's lots of laughs, there's lots of good ideas, and there's lots of, like you say, drama in that one. Um, for series two, um, I think I would pick... That's hmm, tough. You know, really because, tough. you know... There's two, isn't it? Oh, I think. Sorry, I'm taking over now. <laughs> but better than life. Better than life. Just it's gold. Sound, it's it's like, you know, it's it's virtual reality before virtual reality was really a proper thing. Um, you know, that's and again, that's you can see this is the point where they're like, we need to get off this ship. We need to find ways of getting more characters involved. You know, having like stasis leak, but it's like, oh, we need more characters, so we'll go back in time. That's a really funny one as well. Yeah, oh, the bit where all the characters, there's like three yeah. versions of every character. I'm the yeah. Rimmer who's with the Lister, Lister. who's with <laughs> What is going on? And it's just that lovely scene with Rimmer and the captain where he's like, um, you know, describing Lister feeding him the magic mushrooms. And <laughs> it's like, Rimmer, I get to the point. Um, so, yes. Um... Oh, when Captain Hollister turns <laughs> up in the chicken costume and Rimmer thinks he's still high. <laughs> oh, and it's, it, it's got that... Um, that lovely bit where they go through the stairs and the cat say, "What is it?" It's like it's it, it's 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 singularity. Oh. It's a point. It's, what is it? It's it's you know a stairs booth freezes what times. Is it? What is it? <laughs> it's a magic door. Oh, why didn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, series man. three then is. Oh boy, this is tough. Yeah, again, I think um, I'm trying to trying to avoid the ones I'm actually going to pick as well. So I'm talking. Big up a few other ones. Um, I like backwards. I think that's a really good opening to the series because again, we've there's a jump in person. There's change in personality. You've got Crichton coming in. You've got the new Holly coming in. Um, and I think it's really good to get 
um, to <laughs> have Crichton having his driving test and shooting him out. <laughs> oh, yeah. But again, like a really, really high, high sci-fi concept, getting them off the ship. Um, oh, I think having... that's the point where they realise what they can do visually as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've got like new costumes. They've got new, new. They've got Starbug, and it's a good, you know, way of introducing Starbug and new Holly and that sort backwards um do you know that has the most disgusting visual sequence i can ever remember watching as a child and that is the woman uneating that <laughs> chocolate eclair yeah. all right oh it's vile um four oh so what about the wax one haven't we um oh it's got it's so good see every every episode in series four has got something to love about like camille where he's like uh, lister's trying to treat trying to to lie and get the old smee. The fact that they don't even disguise that that monster is so shit as well. <laughs> or, um, I think Dimension Jump as well stands out because we've got like the, the Rimmer that isn't um, the the also the one that's actually made some guy out of his life. And again, that's just, just catchphrase and what a guy. That, that wig is extraordinary. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> it gives Chris Barry like the opportunity to do do something else or at the start where they're trying to sneak off and like, in drama oh. right we had to do an acting project yeah uh-huh. and i've still got a recording of a bunch of us it's on a cassette though and i haven't got a cassette player anymore and uh, we because i had the script book of yeah. red dwarf and dimension jump was in there and we read out the entirety of dimension jump and i can tell you now you definitely need skillful actors because it was so fucking painfully unfunny our version oh it's a great script though yeah yeah, series five. Um, That's a strong year again. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. You um, said about Demons and Angels. Why do you say no one talks about that? It's just because the other ones are, are more popular, aren't they? You've got you've got the Hollow Ship one. Um, you've got Back to Reality, obviously, with Dwayne Dibley. So everyone, you think, series five, you think Dwayne yeah, Dibley. Um, <clears throat> I've got the Terraform one, which I really love. I've played that one to death when I... The repeat of them, I'd have taken them off the telly because you couldn't get the tapes out and watch that one to death. Because then again, that's I just love that the bit with the claw hand where it claims up his boxers and he's like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> there's <laughs> something on my leg. He's typing, <laughs> you haven't seen the size of it. I'm trying to find it. I it's great in hand. I just love, I love Element. Well, that's probably going to be one of my picks, to be honest. Is that the um, season with sexy Jane Horrocks in it? Yes. Oh man, she's gorgeous. In that. She, doesn't she say, "Yes, I thought that we would go and have sex this afternoon." <laughs> it's got um. Oh, who's the other guy that comes from the ship and oh, went to enlightenment? Yeah, I know. I know the actor you mean. He's yeah. well known as well. He is. Yeah. In fact, they do. In some of those later seasons, they do have a habit of bringing in some do, pretty strong actors. In... Timothy Spall's in Black yeah. to Back to Reality, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, can I just so, quote one line to you, please? I'm so yeah. sorry. I, you know, I've got to do this, but Rimmer's line in Demons and Angels, what is it? I'm going to whip you to an inch of your life, and then I'm going to have you. Oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, my God. This stuff is got, but it's the stuff that you wouldn't get in Doctor Who, though, isn't it? That kind of... 
there's kind of line. The range of humour in in a dwarf soap because you've got like scenes like that which are, which get the laugh just for being how daft they are. But you've got like the one-liners like in Hollyship where they would Sir, they've taken Mister Rimmer. They've taken Mister Rimmer. It's like quick, let's go before they bring him back. <laughs> I love that line. In fact, they do that so several times. Yeah. My favourite ever is um, what's it? Switch switch from. Red alert, the blue alert's a red alert. Are you sure, sir? It does mean changing the bulb. It's, that is great. Yeah. When they draw six... attention to how cheap the show is, uh-huh. I think that's genius. It's brilliant. Can we pick the six would be um, Legion? Because I just, I love, again, talking about different types of comedy. You've got that slapstick where they're all trying to knock him out. <laughs> and they're trying to eat the food with the chopsticks and you know it's just I mean that is pure farce isn't it all that food flying through the look out the fellow who played Legion was a serious classical actor (laughs) and he was in that costume trying to give a really like serious performance yeah again that that what Legion what they do is really clever because obviously they've got Rimmer who is a hologram so can't do anything and again running that's a bit well turn him into a hard light hologram where you can actually touch things in it. So again, like a really good sci-fi concept coming in there. But can I mention two more? Yep. Um Marooned from yep. series three, which I think is the best character drama they did in the yep. entire run. And that's basically just Rimmer and Lister stuck on a planet telling stories to each other. And boy, it's so funny. He's, um, what is it? Your guitar was made of camphor wood and he's burnt his bloody box. <laughs> yeah. That's excellent. But also, thanks for the memory as well, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think is one of the best plotted scripts they did. It's a, it's yeah. a sort of jigsaw puzzle that you put together and it doesn't all come together until the very last yeah. shot. And have you ever actually had a triple fried egg sandwich with chili sauce and chutney? I feel like I'm having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you can't talk about this show and not laugh, can you? You can't. Smile. You really can't. That is high anyway. Yeah. That is high. Right. I'll give you my five picks then. Go on in. Since we've been talking about the episodes, I'll give you the five that I have picked, which I'm going to say now will probably change, but it's really difficult just to get five is the first thing I need to say, because like I say, Everything we've talked about, you know, we could do with those episodes and, you know, talk and talk and talk because they're so, so good. It was really difficult to not just pick all of Series 4 because, again, absolutely fantastic. But what I'm going to pick is I'm going to pick Terraform from Series 5 because, like I said, that was that was one of the ones that really got me um, into it. And it's just every scene is just a banger. In that, oh, I think you know, in from... terms of high concept, that's yeah, stunning. That's a good one. I'm going to talk about the end, which is the very first one, because I think, although series one is is very raw um, and rough and finding its feet, you know, even in that episode, you can see the beginnings of of really something really special. Razor, yeah. I've been I've been eating the crew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You trying to tell me everybody's dead. <laughs> Everybody is dead, Dave. <laughs> um Queeg, we're gonna go with Queeg. Golden. Um because again it's just you know you've you've got a you've got admire Norman Lovett. Um and that's that's a really strong episode for him. Um I'm gonna go with Polymorph 
the sequence with the boxer shorts. Are you are you sure? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Alphabetti spaghetti. Honestly, you'll have anything, <laughs> wouldn't you, Lister? Um again, just so many good concepts and you know, to give um the cast something new to do with their characters, which is which is fantastic. And the last one is gonna be probably my favourite all time episode of Red Dwarf ever. So what is it? It's a white hole. White hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that your favourite? Yeah. It's, again, it's just... Again, it, it's one where every scene is just full of laughs and, f- you know, full of great ideas. I mean, playing play pool with planets. Oh, that is, that is brilliant. <laughs> it's just, you know, and you've, you've got everything leading up to that of sort of like Holly um, talky toaster coming in. Oh, and yes. It's just... Do you know, it's I so use that all horrible. the time. I go, was it, uh, given that the universe is all so infinite, <laughs> would you like a toasted really? cheese waffle? <laughs> Not just bready, it's a bit currently as well. <laughs> Those are absolutely brilliant, brilliant choices. And we'll obviously go into why you've chosen those in a lot more depth when we do the commentaries. Yeah. So to sort of um, round this off then and bring this to a close... How how would you describe Red Dwarf? Like what 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 are your feelings about Red Dwarf? Um, again, how would you summarize them? Summarize it. It's 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 hard to summarize. It's in just one sentence. But if it was, it'd be like BBC does Star Trek, but realizes that on a the BBC can't do Star Trek with the budget, so it makes it funny instead bbc goes yeah we're never gonna match that so let's just make it a comedy um and that, that's where it succeeds is is how sort of known it is of its limitations and rather than trying to be you know the orville for example and uh, whether i've got all the money it is just down and dirty and it's the um it's the losers isn't it the losers are getting <laughs> their moment not- to shine cheer for the underdog you know patrick stewart you talk about um star trek on a budget patrick stewart tells a wonderful story about because he directed an episode of next generation called a fistful of datas which is a western and he was watching gunman for the apocalypse and it shot if i mean obviously it's in a muddy field in gunman the apocalypse but it's shot in a very similar way and he's watching this sci-fi comedy western and going this is very like the episode. And he watches it for a little bit. And he, he literally says he picked up the phone to call his lawyer because <laughs> he thought that they had watched it. And then whilst he was waiting on the phone, he laughed like he laughed at one of the jokes. And then he laughed again. And then he put the phone down and he just and he fell in love with the show from that yeah. point on. Yeah. I mean, if we were doing six, then Gunman of the Apocalypse would be, would be the second one. That's just... Again, the very we are a kid. I was literally going to say that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. But um, yeah, just real, real sci-fi. It's got like a real um, relatable feel to it. Um, but more than anything else, it's just so bloody funny. Well, I think we should end it there. What a great note to end this on. And let me just say, I cannot wait to do this episode. I think we're going to laugh our heads off. Well, probably quote away from most of it. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Well, 
Let's do it.